welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Pastor Scott here, and I am so grateful that you have taken a few moments out of your busy day, busy week to join with us as we study God's Word together. Whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, streaming on Spotify, or listening to us some other way, thank you for taking that time to join us today. Let me encourage you that you like and subscribe however you're following so you don't miss out on any new content that comes out. And let me challenge you today. As you're listening to this message, would you think of somebody that this could be really beneficial to and you share it with them, whether you send it in an email, a text message, on social media, share it with them so that they can hear this good news of Jesus Christ and how God can radically change and transform our life. So as you listen, make sure you're listening to what God has to say to you today, but also think and pray, is there somebody that I can share this message with? And then share it with them. Today we're in week two of our series on the book of Daniel, and we're really diving in to see what does this book have to tell us? How is it uh, able to challenge us and transform us? We're reading it in context of understanding of who Daniel was, why this was written, and how it can apply to our world today. And last week we went through chapter 1. Today we're going to be going through chapter 2. And in, in chapter 1 we discussed the following issues. Let's just kind of recap them really quickly. Number one is that the world continually tries to reprogram us into a different way of thinking. We need to be intentional to make sure that we are thinking and allowing God to renew our thinking not the world to renew our thinking. So we always want to allow God to speak into what we're thinking and how we're acting. The second thing was that we must make up our mind in advance to be loyal to God. You see, it's really easy in the moment to just say, you know what, I'm going to do what this person wants or what that organization wants me to do. No, we want to make sure that we are allowing God to control our thinking and we make up our minds in advance of I'm going to be faithful and loyal to God. The third thing we talked about last time was that we must know our limits and we do know what right and wrong is. That Daniel had to look at situations and say, this is right, this is wrong. I know where my limit is. I'll go up to the limit, but I will not cross that line. I will not cross that limit. And if you've pushed me to a certain point, I will not go any further. And number four was godly convictions yield God-given rewards. That so often we want the God-given reward but we won't execute the God-given conviction. And so Daniel knew what he was willing to do and what he wasn't willing to do, and God rewarded him because of that. Now, as a reminder, that sometimes we can look at Scripture and that God-given conviction might lead to our earthly death, but that reward is a spiritual reward. And sometimes, like in the case of Daniel, there is earthly rewards for doing what God has called us to do. All of that in, in mind, we're going to be diving into the second chapter where some of the very things that we read and we saw play out in chapter one is going to directly impact chapter two. For example, let me read you Daniel chapter one, verse 17. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Keep keep awareness to that dreams that they were given wisdom but daniel was given the ability to interpret and understand dreams which is going to directly play out in chapter two now before we go any further i want you to go ahead and repeat after me today your word is written in my mind your word is hidden in my heart your word is a lamp 
unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh God, is eternal. All right, well, we're going to dive into chapter two today. We're going to break it up into three different segments. So the first segment that we are going to go through is Daniel chapter two, verses one through 16. So would you read this with me right now? In the second year, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, this is, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of its magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. The point that I want to pull out of this passage of chapter 2 is this, setting the stage. Now, last week's message introduced us to the different characters, the primary characters of the early part of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. We, we start seeing all of these individuals kind of pop up. One of the things that I've always noticed in the book of Daniel is that every chapter almost feels like its own little episode in the story of Daniel. But at the same time, they also are kind of interconnected. And so this week, I really feel like we're understanding who some of these individuals are. We were introduced to their character last week, but today we're being introduced to the setting of the story and where this book is going to go for the duration of the book. That King Nebuchadnezzar is in the second year of his reign, and he just had a very crazy, disturbing dream. He brings in all of these magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to help him understand the dream. But Nebuchadnezzar does something very intentional. You see, these individuals weren't his appointments 
to these different positions. They were his father's. He inherited them from his father that they had been around for a little bit. You can kind of tell from reading the passage that he doesn't fully trust them or believe that they're capable of doing what they say they can do. And so he has this dream. He wants to have understanding of it. And he wants them to prove that they're actually capable of saying it. You see, if I ask you to interpret a dream for me and I say, you know what? I dreamt that I missed my flight. You might say, well, you're stressed and you're worried about actually missing your flight in real life. And so it's on your mind. And the interpretation is basically be, be prepared, uh, know when your flight is, be early. And you can make a very kind of cold case of this is what that dream meant. But if I didn't know what your dream was and you asked me to tell you you dreamt about missing your flight, that's a whole other layer that you're not able to do on your own unless God reveals that dream to you. And that's in essence what the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans, what they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar is that we don't know what your dream is. So how can we interpret it? Only the gods can do that. And they really, they point this out to him. It's not really making him happy. And Nebuchadnezzar is kind of sitting back, well, then if you can't do it, then what good are you? I'm just going to have you all eliminated. I'm going to have you all killed. And it seems very drastic. But here's the thing that's really interesting is if we go back to uh, chapter one, towards the end of it, what we see is this. It says in verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all this kingdom. Who is that referring to? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The four of them had went through that whole education process that we talked about last week. It was a three-year uh, process for them to go through, and they were found to be 10 times wiser, 10 times greater, better at this role than them. And for some reason, in the beginning of chapter 2, Daniel and his friends are not brought into Nebuchadnezzar. They don't have the opportunity. So the kind of chief of the enchanters and the magicians and the Chaldeans, that they're brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. They cannot accomplish it. So Nebuchadnezzar puts out a, a decree to just wipe out all the wise men because they're not capable of doing the job. Daniel hears about this, and he realizes, you know what? I might actually be able to do this. I might actually have some of these giftings and abilities. So let me have a shot at this. Let me go before the king. So that leads us to Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 30. So go ahead and let's read this together today. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azira, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. The point that I want to pull out of this is this, is we must operate in humility. We must operate in humility as people. Where did Daniel's wisdom come from? It didn't come from man. It didn't come from himself. It came from God. And it ultimately, it came through his obedience from chapter 1. Because he was obedient, because he was willing to listen to God and do what God had called him to do, it changed the equation for him. That Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are identified as individuals who are 10 times wiser than everyone else. Now, they haven't raised up in stature yet, but they're in a spot of being humble, and they're in a spot of being obedient. And they're saying, you know what, let's pray, let's trust God. We're going to believe that God's going to give us the dream and going to give us the interpretation of the dream. And sure enough, God does. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. What is our first move when we have the opportunity to, to share truth, when we have the opportunity to execute a gift, to give resources? It should be the always worship God. It should be the always push the glory back to Jesus Christ. Our giftings, our talents, our resources, they're all gifts from God. And thanking God needs to always be our move. Now, I love the line. So you, you first off have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into prayer to seek the dream and the vision. But I, I love the fact of what he says when he goes before Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to, to hear this again from Daniel chapter 2. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what will be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. He just, he identifies the fact that God is the one who gave me this ability. God is the one who gave me the, the dream. God gave me the interpretation. This is all God. God is working in me, using me, flowing through me, but it is all God. It's not, it's not anything I can do. So don't give me the glory, king. You need to give glory to the king of kings. So that being said, I want to dive back into the chapter 2 because we realize that Daniel is operating in the obedience from chapter 1. We see him flowing in humility here in chapter 2. But I want you to hear what this dream is. And, and it's a unique dream, and we're going to break down what this dream is. Maybe you've read this before and you've never understood it, and we're going to understand it today because we can make sense of what goes on in this dream. So now this is Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. 
This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the Lord of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, it should be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron should be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdom shall be partially strong and partially br br brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this? The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So now let's get to this point. What does the dream mean? We can look at this passage, and we can say, well, he has a dream, and he gives an interpretation, but I don't really understand what it really means. The point you need to get out of here is this, is what does the dream mean? And so we hear this dream about a giant statue. The statue uh, is gold and silver and bronze and iron and iron and clay mixed together. What this statue represents, it's a picture of the Babylonian Empire as it would progress through successive empires throughout history. Daniel predicted a series of empires before they even existed. Daniel directly identifies Nebuchadnezzar's uh, Babylon as the, the kingdom of the head being gold. Then he describes the statue's chest and arms being of silver the next kingdom that would take over Babylon, and that we know that is the Medo-Persian Empire. He describes a belly and thighs of, of bronze, which is the Greek Empire. And then from there, it's the iron legs and the feet, which there is two legs. There is two parts of the Roman Empire, the eastern and western legs of the Roman Empire, whose capitals at the time were Constantinople and Rome. So you have that divided kingdom that comes into play. And here's one of the things that, that really stands out that's a striking detail in the king's dream is that the feet and the toes ultimately of the statue depicting the empire's ruling just before the Messiah's return, consisting of 10 toes representing 10 kings that were partially of iron and partially of clay. That most of Daniel's prophecy that it's been proven true by events 
over time. We see the Babylonian Empire. We see the uh, Medo-Persian Empire that overthrew the Babylonians. Then Alexander the Great and the Greek threw, overthrew the Medo-Persians. Then later Rome, the Iron Empire, overwhelmed the Greeks and everyone else, just as Daniel had described that they would. The legs were fulfilled in 395 AD when the Eastern Roman Empire that they end up breaking off from Rome and you have Constantinople. So all of a sudden you go from here's the iron legs, but now they're separated. And the idea that we really see coming up a lot in scripture is this idea that Rome will, will rise again. And that when we look at the dynamic that will be the future in Revelation, and I'm going to reference Revelation in just a moment, is that there will be this resurgence of Rome and ultimately a resurgence of the Babylonian Empire because it's ultimately this one statue that this entire uh, system of empires comes from this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, when we look at it, in each of these cases, the empires went for a while. And you start with gold, then the silver, then the iron, that are bronze and then iron and then when we look at this it's kind of it feels like the the metals are getting less fine and less expensive and less strong as it goes but this bottom layer especially the feet and the toes that there's clay mixed in so here's the point i want to bring up out of that is the tail of the toes yeah you heard that right the tail of the toes that might be one of the most interesting uh points i've ever had in a message before so what are the toes that it's partially of iron partially of clay the history has not seen the fulfillment of this yet. We have no knowledge of this prophecy being fulfilled, but as we go through Daniel, you're going to see that there's parts of Daniel that have been fulfilled in the past, but there's parts of Daniel, like Revelation, that line up together and will be fulfilled in the future when Jesus, the Messiah, returns. Now, here's the thing. There's two particular characteristics of the toes, that there will be 10 of them, and just as the iron is strong and the clay is fragile, so the kingdom shall be partially strong and partially fragile. When we look at the idea of an antichrist and this uh, seven-year time of tribulation, it kind of makes sense the fact of that it's going to be kingdoms that work with the antichrist, but they're ultimately going to fail because the antichrist is going to be pushing uh, the antichrist agenda. And so I want you to hear a passage out of Revelation 17, 3 through 6, that the Apostle John saw in his vision when he was on the Isle of Patmos about some of these events. And you're going to see how they begin to kind of connect. Because remember, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had is of the Babylonian Empire over time and how it's going to be shifting through different empires. So I want you to hear this. This is Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Just as the nation of Israel is pictured as a woman in the Bible, and the church uh, and the spiritual Israel, Israel is pictured um, as the bride of Christ, the harlot of Revelation 17 pictures a great 
false church that was going to be active in these final days, that she'll play a vital role in the final revival of this Babylonian empire, this uh, system that Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel 2 as a statue. That it's this resurgence of what has went on and has been pursuing in after Israel over all of these years, and that it's going to rise again and have another opportunity with the Antichrist as a partners. But that's not it. I want you to hear uh, now verses 12 through 14 of that same chapter, Revelation 17. So let's read this together. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So now what does that ultimately mean? We have the, the woman who is riding a great political power with ten horns, ten like governments that are working with the Antichrist. That's what these ten toes in Daniel 2 represent. And the ten horns of Revelation 17, they're the same thing. The toes and the horns are the same things, and they represent these ten governments that are going to be acting in this time period. But most important of this dream, we can debate, and some people might have different ideas of who some of these kingdoms are in, in Daniel, uh, what the statue represents, or what it represents in Revelation. But here's the thing I want you to catch. This is the most important thing. We can have opinions about end-time prophecy, but this is the thing that we have to catch is in Daniel 2, in the explanation of this dream, there is a rock that was carved from a mountain that no human hand carved that came and destroyed that statue. And it hit the feet. It hit this system that was partially iron and partially clay. And this entire Babylonian statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed was broken from the feet and it all shattered down together. And when we listen to that and we hear it, we realize the fact that and we, we can look at this entire story, this situation, but Jesus is ultimately going to bring his kingdom. This system that is in place that has uh, taken over the Israelites, taken over the, the nation of Judah because Israel and Judah are separate at this point, that uh, will pursue them through Greece and through Rome and whatever this resurgence is long term, that ultimately Jesus the Messiah wins and will set up a kingdom because all of this statue breaks and blows away like chaff, like uh, that you, you would separate when you were to bring in the wheat harvest. It blows away, but that rock remains because God's kingdom, when it gets established, will not go away. Nothing will ever be able to push it away ever again. Now that leads us to our final portion of Daniel chapter 2. So let's read verses 46 through 49 together. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Here's the final idea that I want to pull out of the passage of Scripture today. It's this, is that we need to make the choice to act and remain in humility. We need to make the choice to act and remain humble. There is two routes of humility that we see here. 
we see the Nebuchadnezzar drought and we see Daniel's. Now on the surface you might say, well, Nebuchadnezzar seems like he's acting humble. You would be right to say that he is in this moment, but this is going to be a theme that we see with Nebuchadnezzar where he acts very manic, where he's acting in accordance to God one moment and then he's doing something completely different and opposite the next moment and then back again and then back, back and forth. Because when we get into next week's message, a little spoiler alert for next week, uh, we're going to be seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going up against Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar builds a gold statue. He builds the literal statue that he saw in his dream and makes it all gold. Like he's trying to prove some kind of point of, I know you said that these other kingdoms are going to follow me, but my kingdom is greatest. I'm going to build this statue. And that's going to lead us to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having to worship this statue or be thrown in the fiery furnace. That's next week's message, so we'll, we'll get there next week. But it's this idea that he's humble for a moment, and then all of a sudden, he's able to be swayed back in this direction. But we have Daniel, we have Shadrach, we have Meshach, we have Abednego, all four of them. They had a goal. They needed to know what the dream was. They needed to interpret the dream, and they remained humble. They went before God and asked for it. Then they went before the king and gave the interpretation, and they then are serving in that kingdom still. They have that ability to say, you know what? Our God is God. Our God is above all kings and above all lords and above all else. You need to, to, to put us in charge. You could easily have that kind of mentality where they could become prideful, but no, they continue to serve exactly where they are, being faithful to do what, what God has called them to do. And God continues to give promotion. And so often we want promotion because, well, I was obedient. Were you obedient and humble? Were you humble and obedient? Are you doing what God's called you to do, and are you giving God the glory? Because we need to be doing both of those things. You see moments where Nebuchadnezzar does the right thing, but he's not humble, and moments where he's humble but not doing the right thing. And it's the combination of both is what makes us successful and makes us become advanced in the kingdom of God. So often we want what we want. We want people to know us. We want uh, opportunity. And we notice with Daniel here, because he is being obedient and he's being humble, he is being given opportunity. He is being given opportunity to sit before kings, and not just one, but multiple through the course of the book of Daniel, where he is able to advise kings because he's obedient to God's voice and he's humble and he remains humble. So I want to encourage you with that, is make sure you remain obedient, but you also remain humble. And that's what I want to pray over you today. As we go to close, I want to pray that you would be an individual that would be obedient, like we learned in chapter one, but humble, like we learned today, that we don't try to push our own agenda, but we want to see God's kingdom go forward. Because at the end of the day, remember, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees the statue of so many great empires that do some incredible things, but ultimately, the rock that is representative of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, destroys what all of these empires have done, and it blows away. It's meaningless. It's worthless. But the rock that is Jesus will stay forever. I want to base my humility on that rock because I know that God's kingdom is going to be here yesterday, today, and forever because he does not change. So let me pray that over you today. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends as they listen to this today, Lord, that you would move in their lives in mighty ways. Lord, that you would call them to a sense of obedience like never before, and ultimately that they would also remain humble, that they would do that which you have called them to do, and they would give you the glory because you are worthy of all the glory. 
Lord, let it not be about us and what we can do and who knows our name, but Lord, let it be completely about your name being made famous and you receiving that which you have paid for, that you have created all mankind in your image and that we would have a desire to, in obedience, tell the, tr the truth, the gospel, in love to everyone we come in contact with, using the talents, giftings, and abilities that you have given to us so that we can advance your kingdom and make you famous. In Jesus' incredible name, amen, amen. Well, thank you for joining us again, whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, or streaming on Spotify. If this message spoke to you today, make sure to share it with somebody that you know, and make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss out on anything in the future. That being said, make sure you read chapter three for next week. It's going to be uh, taking that look at Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. It's going to be a powerful message. Uh, so make sure you're, you're here for us next time. But let's go ahead and repeat the Great Commission together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have a blessed day. Thank you for taking a moment and being with me today as we study God's Word. I'll catch you in the next message.